Okay, so um, as you guys know already, Pastor Kevin has been teaching us uh, from the Word of God based on a guide that we've been following that's been divided into three different parts. Uh, those parts have been thinking, acting, and believing. So we've already covered the thinking, we've already covered the acting, and now we are in the portion uh, when we're studying concepts and teachings from the Bible that pertain to us to how we are. The concept of being. When you say somebody's a being, it's about who they are at their intrinsic self, at the middle of their heart, in their core, in their kind of essence of who they are as a human being. And um, so that is kind of where we study from the Bible to find out who we actually are supposed to be as human beings what our character and what our, um, what our whole self should be centered on, you know. So, so we kind of started with, you know, with the thinking. We thought about um, what is truth, you know, and, and what is um, the gospel, what is the good news, what is Jesus, who is God, who we are. We talked about sin and why it, it separates us from God. Like we have to understand certain things about us, and we have to understand certain things about who God is. Unless, until somebody tells us these things, we don't really know them. We can kind of guess, you know, but that is why the Word of God is there to teach us these truths so that we understand properly in our minds. Um, and then once we understand, hopefully God has convicted us enough so that there is a conviction in our hearts and the Spirit works in our lives to draw us to God, to draw us to Jesus so that we're united with God again. Um, and then after that, where hopefully we have turned from the old way and we have turned and we have started following after Jesus. And following after Jesus, meaning that we are walking with him. So as Jesus leads us to a certain place, as Jesus leads us to be obedient in certain actions, then we have to follow it. So that's what we talked about. We talked about those actions. What are those actions? You know, what are the things that the Lord would ask us to do? You know, um, things like we have to be part of a church, right? Be part of a body. You know, we talked about concepts of evangelism and reaching to other people. We talked about how to be good Samaritans. We talked about how we should love each other. You know, if you see somebody that is in need, you help them out, right? So those are all concepts of acting. You know, things that we are, we started this new journey with God. We started this new journey with Christ, and we're walking with him, you know? We don't really know much about what this life is going to be like. You know, when we start, we're really clueless a lot because, you know, God tells us that we're a lot like children like little babies. But as we're walking more and more in obedience, in that acting part, then we start to learn and become more and more and more, and eventually we become full-grown, mature believers in Christ. So, while we're talking now about this aspect of being that third part, one of those concepts that the Bible teaches about is this concept of joy. Uh, joy is related with our inner being. It is related with who we are as human beings, how we relate to the world, how we relate to our environment, how we relate to events, how we relate to other people, how we relate to God. Um, so, but it is related with our being. It's an inner thing. You know, you can't really point to joy and, and, and say that is joy. We can see examples of joy 
but the root is somewhere deep inside. It's like a, it's like a spring that flows from within, and, um, and then we see the reaction of it. We see the example. We see the smiles on the faces. We see the cheerfulness in someone's giving. We see the gladness with which we interact with each other and which we love each other. So it's something that manifests itself outside, but it has to come from within, somewhere in deep inside of us. So, um, as we, uh, hold on a second, let me kind of finish a couple more things. Uh, as Finn mentioned to me about teaching today, he said, well, you know, we're gonna take a couple of days off with, uh, with Melissa to just kind of um, just enjoy a little bit of rest, and if you can do it. I was like, yeah, that sounds great. This is the weekend that I'll have some free time, I will do it. So he told me, he said, well, the, the thing you're gonna be teaching on is joy. So, you know, after he mentioned it to me, uh, just like normally, you start thinking about those things, right? So it, as, you're, as you're spending time in your time with God, you know, you're reading the Word or, 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 or just contemplating and meditating on the Word of God in your daily walk with Him, uh, you start to think more and more about how joy is threaded into the overall concept of the Kingdom of God and how God talks about the Kingdom of God. So, um, but interestingly enough, I didn't really have a very joyful week to think about joy, you know? Uh, which is kind of interesting because sometimes that happens, you know? Um, so I'm supposed to think about joy and I'm supposed to be very joyful. Now, mo on most occasions, I'm fairly joyful. You know, I, I'm kind of easygoing and positive and when I'm around people, I get excited. I'm like a little kid, like, yay, human beings, like come here, let me hug you, let me touch you, you know? So that's usually kind of my disposition. But every once in a while, uh, when life starts to become a little bit more difficult, when things are not quite like they should be or like how we expect them to be, um, it's a little harder. You know, sometimes you're like, I want to be joyful, but how can you be joyful in a situation like this, you know? So Pastor Kevin mentioned our kind of more overall context of what is going on in our surroundings, right? You know, we're surrounded with the tragedies that happen in Orlando, um, and then, you know, unplanned, the tragedies that just happens in Dallas, and then on and on and on. We don't, you know, we live in a very global world where the news is at our fingertips. You don't have to be very, you don't have to try very hard to turn CNN or other news channels to find out that elsewhere in the world, even more dangerous things are happening. You know, we, we look at things in, in Iraq where people are doing suicide bombs and hundreds of people are dying. You know, we look at things and we listen about the atrocities and problems that are happening and that have been happening in Syria where thousands and millions of people have been misplaced and they're refugees. They're roaming around, running around, trying to find a home somewhere because they're escaping the atrocious violences that are happening in their country. You know, so, uh, you know, the, the issues, all the other problems that have been happening in, in Africa and, and other parts of the world and unrest everywhere. So our context, if we're really honest, the place and time that we live in it's not terribly joyful, you know, if, if you think about that, you know. Um, so that's kind of our overall context that usually provides a lot of our sentiment of how we sort of live our lives, you know, whether, whether there's a lot of occasions and things to be joyful for or it's a little bit more of a solemn time and, and, and time of existence. And in addition to that, we each of us have our own little personal world. So, uh, yes, the outside world, the global things affect us, but we also have our personal worlds 
where we don't have to turn on the CNN to understand something that bothers us, something that troubles us, you know, whether it's broken relationships, whether it's financial trouble, whether it's issues that we have at work, whether it's issues that we have at school, um, whether it's other problems, maybe challenges or some burdens that we have that we've been carrying for a while, maybe it's sin, etc. So in addition to this global context, we also have our individual context that we have to grapple with all the time. So for me, my individual context was throughout the week, um, we're not really doing terribly good at work. So, um, so it's kind of hard to be content and be peaceful when you're really unsure about what's, what the future holds and what's happening, you know. So all of that <clears throat> to say that as I am reading and studying about joy, I have this context of very unjoyful things to kind of think about, you know, very unjoyful things maybe personally in my life or, and very unjoyful things around us. Or so I thought. So anyways, let's start, let's get going in the, in the lesson and then we'll see how God teaches us about joy and whether I was right to think all those things or I should have thought something different. So the key idea today that we're talking about, and I think that's on the card. Is that on the card, Kev? Yeah. So the key idea is that despite my circumstances, okay, so all those things I talked about, that is what we call circumstances. Okay, circumstances is what's happening in our lives, how people are mean to me, how people are mean to each other, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, but despite my circumstances, I feel inner contentment inside, not outside. Circumstances are external. They're outside. They're around us. Despite my things, despite the things that are around me, inside of me, I have that spring of living water that flows out of me, right? And I feel inner contentment, and I understand my purpose in life, okay? And the verse that is our key verse is from the Gospel of John uh, 15 and verse 11. And it says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So who says that in the book of John? Who is, who is saying this verse over here? Well, John wrote it, but who is he talking about? Who is saying these words? It's Jesus. That's right. So Jesus says, I have told you some things, and we're going to talk a little bit about, about what those things were. And the reason I have told you these things, that's what Jesus says. The reason I'm telling you these things, the reason I have told you this, is because I want you, every single one of you, to have joy. And not just joy, but to have joy that is full, that is complete. And we'll talk a little bit about what that means to have joy that is complete. Because according to the word of God, joy is made up of several different things. And several different aspects in our lives have a part and a role to play in how joyful we are. Okay? So let's go to the next one. So here's our outline, a little bit of kind of what we're going to talk about. So we'll start first with the source of joy. Okay? That's the most important thing. We're going to talk about joy. Um, we're going to have to find out where it comes from, okay? We're going to have to figure out whether it comes from somewhere very specific or it's based on other things and circumstances. Okay, we're going to have to clarify that. Uh, then we're going to talk about once we have found this source of joy and we have discovered it, how to grab hold of it and how to make sure that we're walking in it, okay? So it's not just something, oh, I know what joy is. I know where it comes from. But I remember that was like, Two years ago, I discovered joy, and it was so awesome 
But ever since those two years ago, I've been really gloomy and miserable and sad and depressed most of the time. So I discovered it, I remember, but I don't know what happened. Apparently, I'm not walking in it, right? So we'll talk about what it means to continue walking in joy, that daily walk um, as we're walking with Christ. Uh, then we talk about what it means to have joy through the difficult times because if we're being really honest and we just sort of look around at life, every single one of us will agree that life is made up of good times and bad times. Right? You know, it's the reality. You know, there are times of rejoicing. Um, children are born. We get married, we celebrate birthdays, we celebrate anniversaries, we celebrate a blessing from God, etc. You know, it's easy to be joyful because those are moments of gladness, of happiness, you know. And then we also have time of mourning where uh, we're dealing with sickness. We just lost our job or lost our house or the relationships that are most meaningful in our lives are falling apart and our hearts are being broken inside of us. Um, we're struggling to pay our bills. We can't put food on the table. Um, we're in the midst of a war. We're in the midst of murders and killing and hatred, you know? So that's what life usually is. It's a combination of all of those things. But even in those very difficult times, the Bible teaches that we should continue to have joy kind of how that works, okay? So we'll talk about that a little bit. Uh, and then we'll talk a little bit about this concept of joyful celebrations. And the concept of joy joyful celebrations is something that the Israelites were very um, fond of and very committed to. And actually to this day, if you are to go to Israel, some of you have been, I have never been, but I actually had some friends that were Jewish Israelites. Um, there is a sense of when there is something to celebrate, you celebrate it fully. So for example, weddings and things like that in, in Israel are usually very festive and all out kind of events where people are just going at it. You know, If there's something to celebrate, we're just gonna be really happy and celebrate and do that. And for some reason in America, we have toned it down a little bit as if it's wrong you know, to really be glad and really celebrate and give thanks to God and praise God for the abundant blessings that he has done. And make no mistake, make no mistake, no matter if we are very rich in this country or fairly poor and more kind of modest, comparatively to the rest of the world, we are abundantly blessed. I mean abundantly blessed. And for any of you, who have been elsewhere in the world, uh, you would know that. Um, I mean, I know some of you are from Haiti. I don't know if you've ever gotten a chance to go back in Haiti, but Haiti is considered, and I think it's considered, I think it's a fact, it is the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. So if we're comparing here to there, very quickly you realize, wow, we are abundantly blessed. You know, where I am from in my country, it's considered a sort of a, a middle developed country. It's not a fully developed wealthy country, it's a middle developed country. It looks really nice, etc. but comparatively to my country here, the blessings, the opportunities, the freedoms are incredibly bigger, right? So all of that to say that we are truly and wonderfully blessed and there is something to be learned from the Israelites that 
once, twice, three times, etc. you know, many times throughout the year, they would take time off to say, God, you have been good to us. Let's be joyful, great. let's praise you, let's dance, let's have a feast, etc. All of that to kind of focus, refocus again on God and say, we appreciate everything you have done for us, right? Sometimes we forget that in this country. And then we'll close at the end with just reading some of the passages from what the apostles wrote about joy. And, uh, and in those passages as we're reading them, it'll be more about, you will kind of see some of these things that we have talked about, kind of how they find themselves in those passages, right? We'll, we'll read some of the things that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. And then we'll read some of the things that the apostle Peter wrote to several of the churches, not necessarily just one church in specific, but you know, more to the churches so that the letter gets it and, and they can learn from it. So, okay, so let's start with, uh, with the first one. Let's talk about the source of joy. Um, so let's go to the next slide. All right, so the source of joy. So this thing that we're supposed to have uh, that God obviously wants us to know about, wants us to have, wants us to walk with it daily, uh, constantly. It should be in our hearts, in our midst. Where do we find that? Uh, I mean, where, where do we search for it? Where do we find joy? Uh, so if we were to go around and we conduct a survey on the street and we just went over and we come across some people and we said, okay, what do you think is the source of joy? You know, like, where do you think we would find joy, you know? And, um, you know, some of the answers that people would say, you know, they would say something like, if they're more on the nicer side, they made things like, my children are my source of joy, right? Or my wife or my husband brings me joy. Um, which are a little bit more nicer things, I'm saying. Or somebody may be, they may be more of the American business mindset. And they may say, you know what? When I see that my portfolio with stocks and my savings and my investments are doing really, really good, that brings me a lot of joy, right? And they're being honest, you know? People that do investments and, and things like that and they do a lot of stuff, daily they'll go and check and see how my stock is doing in Apple and how my stock is doing in another company, Walmart or McDonald's, etc. And if things are good and they're making a lot of money, it's like, I'm joyful, you know? So they'll go around through their, throughout their day with a big smile on their face because I made $1,000 today, or I made $10,000, or I made $100,000 today, et cetera. And the next day, because the United Kingdom decided to leave the European Union, the stocks are crashing, and he just lost all those $100,000 that he made yesterday. So now today, I'm gonna be really sad because I lost all that money, right? Uh, some people may tell you that they're really joyful when somebody gives them gifts. So they'll say, I love Christmas, I'm so happy because we get stuff all the time, right? So they're joyful because of things, etc. So, uh, however, those things all bring joy for a moment, and then when that thing that brought us joy is taken away from us, then what happens with our joy? It goes away, right? Um, so, if we look into the Word of God, Word of God tells us something completely different about where the source of joy is found. Okay, so let's start by reading some of the things that um, David wrote in, um, in Psalms. So, 
uh, several different verses here. We'll read them and then we'll go to the next slide and we'll kind of find out about it. So, David says, uh, and this is, by the way, chapter 16, verses 1 and 2 first, um, if you're looking in your Bibles. Uh, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. Again, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. Not in somebody else, not in my army, not in my abilities, not in my beauty. In you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. Okay? So David is saying, I am turning to my God. I am turning to his promises. I am seeking deliverance from him. I am seeking hope. I am seeking love. I am seeking everything. You know, he says, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. So he's completely turned towards God. Okay? And then again, along the same lines, just later on, uh, further down, he says, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. Okay? Not his ancestry that elected him to be a king or the fact that he has numerous armies, the fact that he's an abundance of wealth, etc., as a king. No, he says, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. He understands that God is the one that is in control of everything. He understands that God is the one that is in charge of his kingdom. God is the one that's in charge of him being a king. And God is the one that holds my lot, that holds everything about me in his hands. Okay? So he's turning to God okay, with all of his life. The next one he says, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. So, what are these three verses saying if we're looking at them? What is David proclaiming in all of these verses as a beginning? His joy is in the Lord, but he's also saying, I am turning towards God. I'm not seeking things in myself, in other things, trying to figure out the strength of my army, trying to amass wealth so that I'm safe. He's saying none of those things matter anything. My beginning, my all, my everything is God to you, Lord. And that is the beginning of everything in my life. Okay, so let's go to the next slide. So we can look at this now. So because of all of those things that David did, right? Because he turned towards God. Because he desires God to be is everything because he acknowledges that God is the one in control of everything in his life because of all of those things all of those things there is a little word there in the beginning of uh, um, verse 9 that says therefore okay so when every time you've kind of had a lesson from from pastors they'll always mention how that therefore usually talks about the things that were mentioned before, okay? So the things that were mentioned before are the things we talked about, how he has turned to God, how he has given and surrendered everything to God, how he understands that God is in control, okay? So because of all of those things, therefore my heart is glad, okay? Uh, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. Not because of Things were wonderful in the kingdom. Not because he had an incredible amount of wealth. Not because his wives were loving him. 
not because his children were healthy. Uh, all, even though all of those things are beautiful and wonderful and worthy to celebrate. But because I have turned to God, I have acknowledged that God is my Lord. I have acknowledged that apart from God, I have absolutely nothing of good in my life. Because of all of those things, my heart is glad. Okay? So, what can we take away from all of this? Until we get to the point where we acknowledge that God is in control, uh, until we get to the point where we seek God completely, um, we may get gladness and joy for a moment, but all of that is fleeting. So we're always playing catch up. We're chasing from one thing to another, but that's about it. You know, it, it's, always a, it's always a fight, it's always a game. But if we turn to God from our beginning, then he fills our heart with gladness. My whole being rejoices. His whole being, his heart, his soul, his arms, his legs, he wants to dance, he wants to rejoice, he wants to be very, very happy, right? And my flesh also dwells secure, okay? And then on he continues to say, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy, okay? Uh, where is the fullness of joy? In the presence of his armies, in the presence of his wives, in the presence of his wealth and gold and diamonds, in the presence of his vineyards and his orchards in his country, or in the presence of the Lord in your presence, okay? He says, in your presence there is fullness and joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And now <clears throat> he continues to say in uh, <clears throat> chapter 19 later on, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Okay, so what are precepts when we talk about precepts? A fancy word for some of you because it's like a little. But what, what do precepts mean? Does anybody have an idea? Does it sound familiar to something? What do you think? Any guesses? When someone says precepts. Yeah. Principles, teachings, guides, laws, all of those things are precepts. Okay, the things that God is teaching us to do. When God says, honor your mother and your father, and we honor them, it's a good thing because it comes from God. And David knows that because he's following God's precepts and he's seeing that as he is obedient to God and as he's following God's precepts, he's seeing the good things. So he can come and say afterwards, God, your precepts are wonderful. The things that you teach us, the things that you instruct us to do are beautiful and they deserve to be honored and followed, okay? The precepts of the Lord are right and they are the ones that are rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure and enlightening the eyes, enlightening the eyes, okay? So, let's go to the next slide. <clears throat> so, we can talk about joy and continue to talk about all these other things afterwards when we talk about joy through the difficult times, continuing in joy, etc. until we point the most important thing, which is where joy comes from. So until we get to the point where we have surrendered our entire being to God, until we get to the point where God is our everything, then we can't really continue and talk about the other stuff later on. Because until we get connected to the source of joy, 
then there is nowhere to draw joy from on our continued daily walk, as the next slides will talk about when we talk about continuation. So let's talk about continuing in joy now and uh, <clears throat> see what that means. Again, continuing in joy means that we have made a decision to be connected with God, to acknowledge God, to follow him, to be one with him, to accept his son Jesus and what he did for us so that we can be reconnected to God. And now that we're reconnected to God, how do we continue to walk in our daily, in our daily lives with joy in our hearts? Okay, So <clears throat> we're going to spend some time studying in the book of John right now. So uh, in the book of John, we have this um, analogy that um, is given to us that talks about um, the vineyards in terms of the branches and the vine that provides the nutrients for the branches on which later on fruit is formed, okay? Um, and that is an analogy for abiding in Christ. Okay, so let's read the verses and then we'll kind of open them up a little bit and, and talk about them some more. So we're in John 15, uh, verses 4 and 5. Uh, and again, this is the Lord Jesus speaking over here. So, the Lord Jesus says, abide in me, and then I in you. When we say abide, what does that mean? Remain. Um, another word for a home is abode. It's a place where you abide. So, when we talk about abiding, it's about almost like living in Jesus' house, like living in his midst or kind of being with him, okay? Uh, abide in me and then I in you. And then he gives us the analogy of the vine branch. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So let's stop for a moment. How many of you have seen grapes grow before? Most of you, okay. So you know that the grapes, the cluster of grapes, and that's a problem of modern society. Most of the times we have fruits and stuff in stores. We've never seen how it grows. And it, you know, it happens. Most people, you know, um, a lot of people have never seen an animal. Like, you know, they'll go and like see a duck and they're like, amazing, this is awesome. Or they'll see a sheep and they're like, this is so awesome, you know, because they've never seen like animal or things grow. It's just such is life in some of the modern societies that we live in. Nevertheless, most of you have seen how grapes grow, and you know that there is a strong vine that is sort of the, the anchor of everything, and from that vine, branches spread out, which are smaller, and then on those branches, there are leaves that are blooms with flowers, and eventually through those blooms and flowers, we get the fruit that is formed, okay? We get the grapes. So, uh, Jesus makes a simple analogy to people that are very familiar with growing grapes because Israel and Galilee in all that area over there is in the Mediterranean and the Mediterranean climate is one of the best climates for growing grapes. So they're very familiar with how grapes grow. So to them, saying something like this makes perfect sense. You know, they get it. You know, so when, when Jesus says, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, to them it's like a duh, you know, because think about it. You go to that branch and you snap it. You cut it off. Is anything going to grow on it? No, it's done. And as a matter of fact, if you leave it on the side, it'll wither. 
couple of days, it'll dry out, it'll shrivel, it'll wither. And if you leave it for months, couple of years, it'll disintegrate into nothing. Compost, okay, something like that, okay. So when Jesus says that to them, it's very, very clear. So think of the severity of it, okay? Think of that branch being snapped off, and that's it. Like it cannot grow any more fruit. Well, Jesus is making the same analogy for us. He says, unless you abide in me, unless you're connected to me, there is no fruit in your life. You cannot get fruit. Because where does the fruit come from? It comes from him, okay? In the example of the vine, where does the nutrients, where does the juice, where does the water from the roots, how does it come? It comes from the vine into the grapes themselves, over there, just like that. And he'll continue and say, I am the vine and you are the branches, okay? So he's clarifying. We know that, but he's clarifying it to them. He says, oh, by the way, this analogy that I shared with you, well, I am the vine and you are the branches, okay? Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So there's a couple of things to keep in mind over here. One is that there's a clear distinction between who we are and who God is, okay? Because we are branches, which is very, very different from the vine, okay? So the branches, what is their responsibility of the branch? What is the branch supposed to do? Grab the nutrients from the source and transfer them to, turn them into fruit, exactly. So it's kind of clear here when Jesus makes the analogy that we are a branch and he is a wine, okay? He's the vine. So those are two different distinctions, you know? We are the ones that are supposed to be connected to God and then draw from him daily everything that we need, the nutrients for our daily walk, love, joy, all these things, and then transfer them through us, and then God makes all of that into fruit in our lives. Okay, so we have a song that we usually sing here you know, the fruit of the spirit. And most of you know it, you know how to do the movement of it. But in Galatians, uh, the verse that talks about what is the fruit of the spirit mentions some of these things. Okay, so we're gonna make a parallel with some of the stuff that's mentioned over there again. Jesus saying, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, okay? So what does this fruit look like in our lives? Does it mean that we just start having grapes pluck out of our cheeks or like apples start hanging from our arms and our limbs or uh, we have watermelons dragging behind us you know as we walk in and this thing is just kind of moving behind us or is that something different right well uh, let's see what the word of God talks about this fruit is so if we go to Galatians 5 24 it says but the fruit of the spirit is love joy joy Remember this thing that we're supposed to talk about? Okay, so love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And there, and those who belong in Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Okay, so in the first verse it says, whoever abides in me, he it is that bears much fruit. Okay, so whoever is connected to Jesus, he will have love, in his life, the fruit of love. He will have the fruit of joy that we talked about. He will have the fruit of peace. 
It will have the fruit of patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, etc., etc., etc. Okay. All right. So let's go to the next slide. <clears throat> so let's see how Jesus talks about the bearing of the fruit and how it relates to the Father. Okay. So let's read this verse here, and this is really, really cool. It's kind of scary but also very, very sobering and very, very important to read, right? So in John 15, 6 and 8, in continuation of what Jesus is saying, it says, If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Okay, so let's stop for a moment and talk about this. This is kind of scary, right? If somebody is not abiding me, He's thrown away like a branch and withers. Why is it thrown away like a branch and withers? Because he cannot bear fruit, right? It's useless. It is a branch that is absolutely nothing. You know, it just sits there for no reason and it doesn't produce anything. So if you're a farmer and you are used to the idea of harvesting things and working and, and making fruit out of a fruit tree, whether that's an apple tree or a vineyard with grapes, etc. The farmer knows that as soon as a branch doesn't really produce anything, it's useless and he cuts it off, okay, and takes it away, throws it and burns it because that's the only thing that it is good for. At least he can make some warmth out of it, okay? So keep in mind here that the thing that it talks about, and we're not going to talk too much about this, is the bearing of the fruit, okay? So it doesn't really talk about our eternal salvation and God separating us from himself. It talks more about our obedience to bear fruit, okay? So keep in mind that if we live lives that do not bear fruit, that God is not interested in branches that are like that, in branches that are disobedient, and then he cuts him off. Now, how that happens, that's in God's sovereignty, right? How God prunes and cuts us, etc. But it should be very sobering to us to see that God desires for us to be connected to Jesus. If we're not connected to Jesus, then we are useless. Then we may think that we're doing something wonderful. We may think that we have a wonderful plan to grow the church or do this and that. But meanwhile, we're just rejecting the guidance of Jesus and the guidance of the Holy Spirit in our lives, well, that branch cannot bear fruit. It may do some other things, but it cannot bear fruit because it is rejecting the only thing that it is asked to do, which is to remain connected to the vine. So that's a very, very important thing. So after we have talked about the seriousness, let's talk again about why God is so serious about us bearing fruit. It says, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So, what does God desire of all of us? Well, God desires of all of us that when people see us, we are that tree or we are that vineyard that is bursting with fruit. Now think about this for a moment. Um, we don't have a lot of vineyards here in Central Florida, but we have a lot of what fruit grows over here? 
oranges and citrus, tangerines, oranges, grapefruit, all kinds of stuff. So you can tell if you're driving, especially if you start going a little bit south, kind of more in, um, kind of south from us, because we're at a point where citrus freezes and people don't grow as much citrus in this area as they used to, but further down south, still most of the farms are going to have citrus. So if you've ever driven through an area that has really nicely maintained grounds, okay, where the trees are trimmed, they're beautiful, green and luscious, and then when you go there in December and January and February when it's citrus growing season, you see the trees are just full of oranges and tangerines or limes and lemons and grapefruit, whatever the people are growing, right? So uh, what does that make you think of? So what? <laughs> Grapes? Well, that was a silly question to ask, actually. But uh, I'll say kind of what it makes me think of. It makes me think of, wow, that owner of this vineyard is doing a really good job, right? And he's proud to show it. So who is the owner of the vineyard? If we're looking at an analogy in this way, God is, right? So this vineyard that's full of different plants and different uh, uh, grape-bearing trees or whatever those things are called. Um, God is the one that owns the vineyard, right? And uh, when we are the trees that are bubbling and bursting forth with fruit, again, what is this fruit? Is it grapes that are hanging from our faces and, and limbs, etc., or is it other things? Right? So the things of joy and love and peace and patience and joy, like we said, all these things, right? When we're bursting forth with all of this fruit, who receives the glory and who receives the honor for all of that in our lives? God, absolutely. So that's what Jesus says. You know, by you producing all of this fruit, God is glorified, you know, because you prove that you're disciples. Because more and more people see the amazing source of life and love that is inside of you, and they are drawn, again, not to us, but to who? To God. That's right. That's why, that's why God desires for us not to be a branch that bears nothing, which is useless, but to be a branch that, that bears a lot of fruit. So that is why Jesus says, your objective is to bear a lot of fruit. So if you ask God to help with this process of bearing fruit, um, God gladly gives you everything you need because it's his pleasure that you are full of joy, that you're full of love, that you're full of peace, and all of these other fruits. Because he receives gladness. He says, by this my father is glorified. That you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So let's go to the next one. Uh, all right. So anyways, I put some images over here just to kind of laugh a little bit about it. Um, so we talked about it. Is this the kind of fruit-looking people that we need to be? No. <clears throat> or is it more the joy and the gladness and the peace and love that is inside of us that needs to be portrayed, right? So, anyway, this is a poor, this is a, a Renaissance artist, Giuseppe Archimboldo, who is very famous for painting these portraits of fruit, etc. You know, um, it's actually uh, you know many museums around the world his paintings are present. But let's go to the next slide and then um, we'll look at it. So here is that beautiful image of what that looks like, and you can clearly see over here. You can see the vine, that very big branch that's in the middle, and then from it, those little branches are coming, and then what is hanging off of branches? Wonderful, healthy, uh, beautiful,
grapes. Exactly. Again, but if you snipped it off, then you cannot draw the sources that are coming from the branch, and then the grapes cannot be formed. Let's keep on going. Next slide. All right, so here we will talk a little bit about, again in continuation from John, how the joy is related to God's love. Again, this is really, really important. So uh, in uh, verse 9, just a little bit later on, and all the way to verse 11, Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Okay, earlier he said abide in me. Okay, so again the same word, abide in my love. <clears throat> Over there I wrote a little thing that says abide in my love. Exclamation point and then question mark how. So Jesus says abide in my love. What does that mean and how do we do that? Okay, very very important. So if we continue Jesus gives us a very simple answer to that question. It's no kind of going around it. It's a very simple, clear answer to that question. It says, abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Okay, so Jesus came to the earth for several different reasons to save the world to, so that you know, humanity is saved through him. But another reason why Jesus was on the earth was to give us a visible image and an example of who? Of God. And also a visible image of what a perfectly obedient life looks like. Okay, so if Jesus, when he was on the earth, made it his priority to be obedient to the Father, then <clears throat> is that something that we should follow and emulate, or is that a mere suggestion? What do you guys think? Okay, so if Jesus is saying, this is really important, okay, just like I have, <clears throat> just like I have loved the Father, so you need to love and abide in my love as well, right? <clears throat> Jesus says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, okay? So, super, super simple, but also super, very complicated. So, let's continue. I'll explain a little bit more kind of how to close this. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Okay. So, all of these things about abiding in Jesus, being connected to the vine, abiding in Jesus' love, bearing a lot of fruit, being obedient, okay, keeping the commandments, which has to do with obedience, all of these things I have spoken to you so that what happens? So that there is an abundance of the fruit of joy in your life. Okay, so let's look at this notion of obedience versus disobedience. Jesus says, abiding in my love means that you follow my commandments, that you are obedient. Okay, so... Let's go back to your homes, your moms, dads, older brothers, older sisters, or go back a couple of months when you were still in school, your teacher, um, the person in authority in your life. Uh, they say something, do this. And you're like, I don't want to do that. Is that loving? 
No. Okay. Um, why don't you want to do that? Ask yourself that question. Think about, for example, your mother or your teacher or any person in authority in your life maybe that is asking you to do something. Why don't you want to do it? If we're being honest, I don't want to. I'm lazy. I don't want to help out with cleaning or I don't want to do this and that, right? Well, if your mother is asking you to help out with cleaning, what does that mean? That means that you have to obey, but two, that means that she's probably in need of some help. She's tired. She's probably been working for many hours to make some money so she can put food on the table for you guys. She probably already did like two or three loads of laundry. She probably swept the floors and she just needs 10 minutes of rest and she just wants you to clean up the dishes and then everything will be done. She already did 95% of the things. But if you say I don't want to, then it just means I don't care about you. I don't care that you're tired. I don't care that you put food on my table. I don't care any of that, right? But if you love that person, flip it backwards. You love your mom and you see how hard she's working and how tired she is. She doesn't even have to ask you for a commandment. You see her and it's like, mom, thank you so much for doing so much for us. What can I help? Can I pick up something, you know? Because you love her. You want her to be happy. You want her to have good things like that, right? And when you do that, and even then afterwards when she asks you a little bit more difficult and you're obedient, what does that do with your relationship with your mom or the person in authority in your life? Closer and closer and closer, right? It grows that bond of love stronger and stronger and stronger. Well, the same thing happens with our relationship with God in uh, our love with him. If we are obedient and do the things that God is asking us to do, it grows our bond of love with him. And that is the most important thing that Jesus told us. It is to love the Lord of your, your God with all your heart, your mind, and soul, and then love your neighbor as yourself. Okay? So, if we're talking about joy, which is the lesson today, and how to have joy in our lives, well, one of the most important things to draw back from this is that joy is very much related with obedience. So, when we're obedient to do the things that God is asking us to do, then as a byproduct of that, joy will abound in our lives because we are in unity of love with our creator, with our source, with our vine. And we are, when we are obedient, joy will abound. But when we're hiding, when we're turning away from God, like Jonah did when he was running away from what God was asking him to do, uh, was he joyful during the time in his life? No. I mean, he's running away. He's hiding from God. God is patiently waiting for him. He's drawing him back. But Jonah doesn't want to have anything to do with it, right? Um, so as a result of his disobedience at that time in his life, his joy is sapped out of him. So all of that to say, if we are not joyful... Maybe one of the reasons is because we are disobedient for something at that time in our life, something that God is calling us to do. Because if he is our source and he is our everything, when we're disobedient from him, then that is going to have severe repercussions in all the fruit-bearing things in our lives. Okay? And it's going to manifest itself later on as well. So let's go on to the next one. 
Okay, yes, so I kind of explained this already, actually, you know, but yes, it says that obedience versus disobedience. In obedience, there is love and joy, and in disobedience, it is the absence of those. So when we're disobedient to what God is leading us to do, whether it's living in sin for something, whether it's not doing something that God is calling us to do, then that will sap love and joy and all of that stuff in our lives, and we will stop bearing fruit because we are blocking the flow of all of those things from the vine. We're just saying we don't want to have anything to do with it, right? Um, and uh, I will kind of connect this a little bit with some of the things that James talks about um, later on in one of the epistles. Uh, James talked about this idea of faith in action. So James talked about us being connected to God and then being obedient in our walk and doing the things that God is asking us to do. So let's read what James says. Which is very blunt. James says, uh, what good is it, brothers, my brothers, if someone says that he has faith but does not have works? Um, can that faith save him? Again, that faith, the one that he's claiming, keep that in mind. Because he says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed, and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the, need, the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. What is James talking about? James is talking about exactly about what Jesus is saying there, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, okay? It's one thing to say, Yay, Jesus, awesome. And it's another, the first thing Jesus asks us to do and kind of follow him in, we just say, no, we don't want to have to do that. Well, Jesus would ask, well, you committed to start walking with me, but you don't want to walk over here. Jesus says, I want to walk over here where these people are, where they're poor and maybe hurting, and I want you to come with me. No, I don't like those people. I'll stay here. Okay? All right, so let's go over to these people over here. And these are really nice and wealthy people, but they actually have brokenness in their hearts, and we need to go and minister to them. No, I, I, don't, I don't like rich people. They're snotty and, and stuff like that. Okay? So you can see why James is saying, well, if you're claiming you have faith, but you're not really obedient to follow Christ in your daily walk, do you really have faith, or are you just saying it? Okay? So again, a connection between those two things. And I wrote on the bottom the, the, the thing that we've been talking about in our overall study thus far, and it's that triangle of think, act, be. And there's a very, very, very important reason why it is in that order, okay? Starting from the thinking into the acting and into the being, because there in the middle is the concept of acting, the concept of you know, what God calls work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, meaning that you are obedient to the things that God is calling us to do. Not because you are, I can't believe that I have to serve God, but more because you know that you are leading the one, the only one that can lead you down the path of righteousness, the only one that can provide that source of fulfillment and joy, like David was talking about, the only one that can guide you through the storms of life, the only one that can help you accomplish things that you could never do on your own, okay? 
So all of, because of all of those reasons, you are choosing to be obedient and not just sort of say something with your mouth and not really follow through with it. So again, very, very important. And keep that in mind, that verse again, you know, it kind of keeps on coming up over and over again that, that your joy may be full, okay? So Jesus wants us, our joy to be full. But several different aspects that make our joy full and fill us with joy, right? And one of those aspects was this concept of obedience, okay? Just like that, okay. So, um, the verse after that, let's go to the next one. Okay, so then we'll talk about the next one afterwards. So, um, so let's conclude this a little bit over here. All of that we talked about, we spent a lot of time talking about it, but very simple summary. Staying close and connected to Christ is the only way that joy can continue to flow in your life. So when we are lacking joy, we have to ask ourselves, first and foremost, have we first connected to Christ in our lives? Have we made that decision to follow him with our lives, surrendered everything? And then second, do we find time daily to abide in him, to be obedient to his leadership and his guidance? Um, so that joy can continue to flow in us. Without those two things, no matter what else we do, no matter how much gifts, no matter how many wonderful blessings come into our lives, we'll always be needing and missing and lacking and desiring more. So let's go to the next one. We'll continue on. Um, when are we supposed to finish? I completely have like, like now-ish. Like, sorry, I completely lost track of time. Okay. Well, I would love to do a part two next week, except for next week I will not be here because I will be in Washington, D.C. So, anyways, let's finish with just joy through the hard times and then we'll stop there uh, because that's a really, really important thing. And then we'll, I'll go through that really, really fast and then we'll finish it up because the other parts afterwards they talked about the festivals and then again the last things were the verses from the apostles that really just summarize all of these things that we kind of talked about. So, all right, so this is super, super, super important. So we mentioned how in life there's a lot of times and periods when there's difficulties and trials and problems and there's times when there are happy events, issues, celebrations going on in our lives. So. How are we as Christians supposed to have joy during those times? Are we supposed to celebrate? Are we supposed to be joyful? Are we not supposed to be joyful? In other words, how are we supposed to relate and how are we supposed to act during times when we are surrounded with a lot of bad things? When, like in the early church, people are being persecuted, they're slaughtered, they're killed, they're stoned, they're put in prison, they're taken from home and, and tortured in public squares or in some other parts of the world right now where we have wars and issues and killings, et cetera, et cetera. So joy, because we enjoy the process of transformation, this concept of sanctification. So let's go to James, and then we'll read what James says over there. So in James 1, verses 2 through 4, James says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. 
So James says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you are um, uh, killed, persecuted, molested, offended, uh, you are a refugee, you are poor, all of these things. In other words, a normal person would say, what? How am I supposed to count it joy during those times? However, the thing that he's talking about is because all of those things that we talked about, all those bad things, the trials, the difficulties, etc., all of that stuff is testing of your faith and it produces steadfastness. So it, it kind of toughens you up, okay? And then in that steadfastness, after it has worked itself up, it says it'll have its full effect and then you will become perfect and mature, lacking nothing. So for the Christian, all of these difficulties and things that are happening, their effect is to make you steadfast, grow in patience and strength, etc., so that eventually you are perfect and lacking nothing. Okay, so the Christian life is one of constant transformation and growth towards maturity and completeness. And oftentimes these trials are the things that return us and point us back to God and they reveal to us things that are not right, okay? We have a picture with a train that we want to, we need to look at over here. So. Here's a simple analogy of kind of how this works. So look at that train over on the left side. It's two locomotives, but consider all those loads that they're pulling. By the way, I just Googled the longest train in the world or something like that, and this thing came up, right? So that train is probably crawling, okay? It is moving at like two miles an hour. Nevertheless, it is carrying so much load efficiently, right? So it's those two things, and it's able to pull all of those wagons full of coal, okay? to a factory or to a power plant, etc. Only when the train is on those tracks, it is able to accomplish this seemingly unsurmountable thing. Okay, you tell somebody else, pull all those things, they'll be like, yeah, sure, absolutely, yes, awesome. Right? But if it's on the tracks, if it's in the right design, the right purpose, it can do it. However, that same train, with all the power in those locomotives, if you just nudge it a little bit, no, it doesn't have to be a lot. It can be like a hurricane strength wind, and it maybe just kind of tosses it a little bit strength-wise that it kind of bends over and gets off the tracks. Can that train on the right side pull anything? It cannot even pull itself up, let alone pull and help other things as well, right? And now let's go to the next one. <coughs> next slide. <coughs> okay, and then again, same thing. Trials often show us the truth about us, and let's look at another slide with the goal. And then we'll kind of pretty fast. So on the left we have a golden ore. Or other words, how when people are mining in mines, how they would discover gold looks like. Okay? So you're looking at that, it looks like a rock. Just like a normal rock, if you've seen a rock. Uh, there may be some lines of gold in there, but you can't really tell. Because the gold is compressed, it's contained by all these other things that we don't really care about. Because they don't have value, they're not as valuable as a gold. So what has to happen is this whole thing has to be heated in an incredibly hot temperature so that all of those other things around are burned, broken, and they go away. The only thing that's left is the gold that's trickling down, okay? And after that, you can actually have pure gold once it has solidified itself, okay? So oftentimes, these trials and things like that, for the Christian, again, it's, we're only talking about the Christian people. 
God allows these things to happen in our lives because they reveal things that are not right in our lives, okay? They, they, when we're pushed and challenged in certain things, some tendencies will appear in our life that God will say, I don't want you to have this. And that is cleaned up out of our life. And then after that has been cleaned up in our life, we are more perfect, we are more mature, we are closer to God, and we can bear more fruit, etc. all those things just like that. So let's go to the next slide. Uh, again, joy because we enjoy the process of transformation, all that stuff. Uh, let's skip to the next one. Um, and next one. Uh, okay. Joy because we are hopeful. Okay, so um, I'm rushing a little bit because I completely lost track of time. And I want to say several more things about each of those things, but uh, just really, really briefly again. When the Christian is going through difficult times, when there are struggles, when there are difficulties, we can remain joyful, not necessarily in the fact that these things around us are worthy to be joyful about. When you walk around and you're stepping on slaughtered children on the road, there's nothing joyful about that. That should bring you sorrow to your heart like you've never experienced before. Um, when you're going in the midst of a war, there's nothing joyful about people killing each other. You know, when you go in the midst of a famine and people are starving everywhere, or we're killing each other, we're hating each other, there's nothing, those are not things to celebrate and be joyful about. However, the thing that keeps us joyful is the hopefulness that the Christians have within themselves. That, though for a moment, there will be sorrow and there will be crying and difficult times, ultimately God will make everything right at the end because he is in control and he is faithful, ultimately, right? In Habakkuk, uh, we have some verses that explain some of those things. You know, the people were um, going through a difficult time. They were having bad kings. The country uh, at that time was in ruins. All the kings were hating God, etc. And Habakkuk was crying to God, saying, how is our country going to be clean and, and, and good again? And he says, I hear and my body trembles my lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the Lord of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. All those are bad things. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Not in all those bad things. Those are bad things. You should be sad about them. But your hope is in God, the God of my salvation, because he's the one that's going to make things right. Okay? And then the next one, I think, is the last slide, and we'll stop it there. Um, and then, same thing, we'll go back to Jesus speaking. As Jesus is being prepared to be crucified and die for humanity on the cross, he will tell to his disciples, he says to them in John 16, verse 1, verses 20. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and mourn and lament, but the world will rejoice. However, you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. And then he continues on and says, when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, 
but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. Okay, so again, a lot of those wills, which talks about future, and people should be hopeful that God is in control. And it says, until now you have asked nothing in my, in my name, ask and you will receive again that your joy may be full. And then let's conclude it. Last slide. All right, so we'll stop with this, and uh, even though there's a couple of other things afterwards, um, this is a good time to conclude anyways because it gives us a good kind of wrapping point. So, joy through the difficult times. Joy does not mean you are happy at all the times in your life. There is clearly times for laughter and times for sorrow, as the wise king in Ecclesiastes says there is a time for crying and there is a time for laughter and as a matter of fact uh, God warns us that when somebody is crying you don't go and dance and sing songs to him because God says you are pouring salt on his wounds he's in sorrow he's sorrowful over something you should not go and dance and play to him okay so again it doesn't mean that there is always just like playing and dancing, you know, there is time for laughter and a time for sorrow. It means, however, that even through the most difficult times we go through, we can go with hopefulness. For our hope lies in God's unfailing promises and his character, not the circumstances around us. Joy is about hope and faith that God is in control. And tomorrow is a new day. God is on his throne, and his promises are trustworthy, and his love is everlasting. So even when we're going through those very difficult times, and they are difficult times, no one should come and tell you, oh, that's nothing, when it is something, you know, when your heart is breaking, when you're going through something difficult. However, the Christian should have the attitude of, just like Habakkuk say, yes, though the wine is not produced, though the fig is sorrowful, Yet I will turn my eyes to the God of my salvation, and in him I will find hope for the sources of the things that I need as well. So, okay, so this is our stopping point. Um, again, I'm sorry I didn't think about the time a little bit. I think I spent a little bit more time talking about other things as opposed to kind of rushing through it a little bit. But hopefully the word, would, the word of God was encouraging to you and kind of taught you a little bit about kind of how we should have joy in our lives. And that is, again, the most important thing finding the source of our life and everything in God and being connected to him, being connected to Jesus, accepting his forgiveness and the salvation in our lives, being connected to God again anew, and then abiding with him, staying close with him. Unless we do that, then there is no flow of love and joy and any of those fruits into our lives. And then to have that mindset of hopefulness and trust in God when we are going through the difficult times that we can continue to have joy in our lives as well so awesome thank you guys so much for listening let's pray and then we'll uh we'll be done so um god thank you so much for your word uh which we know father does not return uh void um your word will do uh what it um uh your will is for your people um so father i pray that um each person today um, that came here and gathered learned something from your word and you spoke in their heart, you spoke in their spirit and you encouraged them and you challenged them um, so that they are people that bear an abundance of fruit that comes from you, that they're connected to you, that desire to be connected to you 
the desire to be obedient to you, um, that all of us do that, Father, so that we can um, showcase your glory by how much fruit we bear, um, and one of these fruits being joy. So let joy abound in our lives so that your name is lifted up above all else, Father. So we pray for all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Awesome.